0: Before we uh, get into the message um, this morning, I want to let you know about something and and maybe if we can just spend a moment praying uh, as the body together. Um, Kathy, uh, who is Corey's mother-in-law, let me know before this service. Corey Kirkwood, Corey Megan are uh, missionaries that uh, we have sent out. Um, uh, Corey was diagnosed this weekend is that correct, this weekend, uh, with shingles. And uh, and so if you wouldn't mind just joining me, just praying in that. Um, it's contagious, obviously. They have two little girls, uh, and and it's going to affect a lot. So um, if we could just pray together for healing, for protection for the family, and uh, just that the Lord would use this. Um, just amazing over the last uh, month even how the Lord has used things in them through them for the sake of the gospel and so let's just pray to that end and then i'll close our time praying and then we'll get into the message father i'm so grateful that as the body of christ we can come together we can pray Uh, you hear us through christ and uh, and god for our brother who is on the other side of the planet lord we can pray and have hope that us praying from here to you makes a difference And so, God, we do that in faith this morning, and I ask you, God, to heal, Lord. I pray for Corey that you would bring comfort, knowing that he is in pain um, and uh, has to even be separated from his family, Lord, so that they don't get it. God, I pray that um, that you would heal and that you would do it miraculously, Lord. Uh, and I pray that you would do it, that others would be amazed and that the gospel would go forward. And even as we've been talking about, as we're going through 1 Corinthians, um, just making uh, a hearing for the gospel possible. Would in this case, God, would you do it? Uh, would you make it possible for the gospel to be proclaimed through this and hearts to be awakened to you, God? You are good and you do good. And so we trust you we know that you are in control of uh, every part of this and god we pray that you would be glorified through it in christ's name amen we'll turn to uh, first corinthians chapter 10 (coughs) if you are visiting with us this morning uh, we're working our way through the book of first corinthians we've been in it for several months now we're starting chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians this morning. And just as a, a reminder of chapter 9, if, if you weren't here, um, it's okay. I'm going to tell you briefly what we talked about last week. But in verses 26 through and, and 27, Paul says, So I don't run aimlessly, and I don't box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others... I myself should be disqualified. And and so he's saying, I discipline my body, I keep it under control. We talked about how that means I pummel my body and I make it a slave so that after preaching to others, I don't finish the race and find out that I didn't really believe all of these things that I was saying. And that faith, belief matters. And it it equals, translates into how we run our race. And so what he's talking about in the passage before this is it matters how you run because how you run shows what you believe. If you really believe that the prize is Jesus and he's the greatest thing that you've ever experienced, he's the greatest treasure you've ever found, then you're going to run hard to get the prize. And so it matters how you run, and, 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 and what he's saying there is, I don't just talk about the gospel, I just don't talk about Jesus. I'm living in such a way, I'm, I'm keeping my body under control, I'm disciplining my body, so that when I finish my race, I don't find out that I did this without really believing the gospel. And that's how we get to chapter 10. Verse 1. And in case the Corinthians, as he's writing to them, or even us, think that Paul's just using scare tactics at the end of chapter 9 to get us to do more, um, he kind of continues in that and tells us, I want you to think about the Israelites as your example in this, okay? And that's what we're going to look at. So if you'd stand with me, I'm going to look, we're going to read verses 1 through 5 of chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting with verse 1. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we need your help this morning. We're so grateful that you've given us your word, and we, we want to look to it and, and, and hear it and see it as your words, God. That what we have just read is, is you. It's your word given to us, and we want to have ears to hear that. We want to we know you, God. We want, we want people to know you. We want people to glorify you because you alone are worthy. And so, God, would you work what only you can work this morning? your glory in our hearts, whether that's through repentance or or just growing in faith or, or or completely seeing you for the first time and repenting and turning to you and submitting to you as Lord God, would you do that in Christ's name? Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Verse 1, for I want you to know, brothers, okay? So we don't want to separate this, okay? I, I say this a lot. I just... I want us to think this way when we leave this place and we sit down with the Bible and we read it. I want us to be thinking this, okay? Just because someone came along to help us out and put big, bold numbers here and words between passages doesn't mean that when Paul wrote the letter that it was meant to be separated, okay? It's a letter, and so we want to keep it in context. We want to look at context. And so as it comes into For I want you to know, it's coming off of, do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run, that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified for I want you to know, brothers. Paul's saying that the example of the Israelites that we're going to talk about today is very much necessary for us to understand if we're going to run as those who are running to win. Those who are running and truly believe in Christ. He wants us to get the gravity of believing or of not believing. And so as he goes through this, he tells us, I want you to know, I want you to think, I don't, want, I don't want you to ever forget that the Israelites, all of them were under the cloud, all of them passed through the sea, all of them were baptized into Moses, all of them ate the same spiritual food, all of them drank the same spiritual drink. And not only that, but that drink, they drank from the spiritual rock, and it was Christ who was the rock. Nevertheless, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. He's saying, I want you to think about the Israelites and apply that to your heart and apply that to how you run after Christ. So let's talk about what he's meaning in there. Okay, I want you to know our fathers, he says in verse 1, our fathers were all under the cloud. That's interesting that he uses our fathers. If you're familiar with the Bible, you have um, the Israelites, the Jews that were God's people, and he had set them apart, and now we have the gospel going to the Gentiles, and the Corinthian church would have made, been made up mostly of Gentile people. And, and so when Paul says our fathers, it's just affirming what the New Testament teaches, that the church is the true Israel. Whether you're Jew or Gentile or whatever you are, if you're in Christ You are unified in Christ and you're the true Israel. That's what Paul means saying to Gentiles, our fathers. He's referring to the fact that we're all a part of the church. And here's what I want us to do as we go through this passage is he's referring to specific circumstances that happened with the Israelites in the Old Testament. When he says that they were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea. Those are all specific circumstances. And so I want us to go to those passages and look at those passages together. Okay. And so if you grew up in the church and you know kind of what um, a sword drill is and, and you've ever participated in that. Uh, maybe some of you haven't. Good for you. Um, it's going to feel like that a little bit. There's, okay. Some of you are looking at me like, I don't know what a sword drill is. Here's what it is really quick. Okay. It's this game. The kids play in church, and they hold their Bibles up, and someone calls out a passage. You've got to get there as fast as you can, stand up, and then you're this superhero in front of everybody. And, uh, and so it's going to feel like that because we're going to go to a ton of passages this morning, but you don't get a prize. So that's neat, right? Okay. So Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. What's he talking about? Go to Exodus Chapter 13, verses 17 through 22. <clears throat> I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. Just to catch you up to where we're at, or where Exodus thirteen seventeen is at, you have Moses who is... Uh, Set apart by God, he goes to the Israelites who are in captivity. They've been in captivity for 400 years, slaves to the Egyptians. And God does all of these miraculous things to convince Pharaoh to let his people, Israel, go. And Moses leads out these hundreds of thousands of Israelites out of Egypt where they've been in captivity for 400 years. And so they're coming out of Egypt together, led by Moses. And that's kind of where we're picking up in chapter 13. Verse 17, and it says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the sea of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to... To give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So when Paul says the phrase, I want you to know that our fathers were all under the cloud, he's referring to this. As they come out of Egypt, you have hundreds of thousands of Israelites, and as they're being led out, God provides a cloud that is his presence with them, leading them out. And it's not just a cloud that's leading them out, but as they're in the daytime, it's this cloud leading them out of Egypt where God wants them to go. And then at night, it's a pillar of fire so that they can see to travel by night or by day. They don't have to fear anything coming and getting them. They can travel and, and be let out literally directed by God. Amazing, okay? So just imagine, okay, can we just put ourselves into these stories if you were a part of the israelites there and think about what that would be like if you walked out of church this morning you're like what am i gonna do today it's mother's day my mom lives in tennessee what am i gonna do today but there's a cloud i'll follow the cloud and i'll just find out what the cloud wants me to do and i'll just go over the cloud wants. that doesn't happen right that doesn't happen normally this is a supernatural crazy unbelievable thing where god is present with his people And leading them out so that they know where to go. God was with them. And they experienced all of them under the cloud. Just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 10. All were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. In Exodus chapter 14, we can see what he's referring to there. Starting with verse 19. Now to just get us from 13 to chapter 14. The Egyptians decide after the Israelites have left, we shouldn't have let them go. That's a lot of slaves that just left. Who's going to cook, right? And so the Israelites are going out. The Egyptians are coming out after them. The Israelites are fearful because they come to the Red Sea. What are we going to do? How are we going to get across the Red Sea? Here we got the Egyptians coming out after them, and they're panicking. In Exodus 14, verse 19 Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. So we'll pause there. We're going to keep reading. But this cloud that was leading them moves. Behind them. So you have the Egyptians coming to attack them. To kill them. This cloud. God's presence moves behind the Israelites. Separating the Israelites from the Egyptians. Giving light throughout the night. So that the Egyptians don't dare go towards the Israelites. Because the Israelites can see them. And so they're stuck. And they're fearful. And they can't go forward. And God is keeping the Egyptians from the Israelites. And it goes on and says. Then Moses. Verse 21. Stretched out his hand. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Amazing. So here's the Israelites at the sea. God tells Moses, stretch out your hand, stretch out your staff, and the sea parts. You have hundreds of thousands of people that walk through the midst of the sea. Now, you may hear that. You may hear that for the first time and maybe the first time you hear the story of the Israelites crossing over the Red Sea. And and for many of you, you've probably heard it uh, several times. It doesn't say that they walked through on muddy ground. It says they walked through on dry ground. You may hear that and you're thinking that's impossible. Yes, it is. And that may compel us to think, well, I wonder how that happened. You can look it up on Google and they'll try to think through different ways. How did that happen? Did the wind blow the opposite direction to do this? I can tell you how it happened. God did it. Water separated. I can't even comprehend being one of the Israelites walking through. I don't know how high the water was. I just know if it was me, I would be afraid. Because that doesn't happen. And so they're walking through and on each side they are seeing the power of God displayed as he separates water. And they're walking through as he's rescuing his people, as he's showing them he's trustworthy. It's wonderful, wondrous display of his power, wondrous display of his love for his people, his victory over their enemies, his trustworthiness. And Paul says, all of them, all of them experienced that all of them passed through the sea he goes on in in uh first corinthians 10 verse through two and he says all were baptized into moses in the cloud and in the sea now what does that mean just in the same way that we do baptism and someone comes and is baptized and that is a identification with who our lord is which is jesus christ we're identifying with jesus that he died and was raised to life, We're identifying with him as our Lord. In the same way, what Paul is saying is those events that they passed under the cloud, they passed through the sea, those were identifying events. That God used those to identify his people with Moses, their leader. And so he was leading them out, and he was a type, he was a picture of Christ for us as we read that. Moses set apart by God as his chosen instrument and his people identifying with him, baptized baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Paul goes on and says, All ate the same spiritual food. What is that? Exodus chapter 16, starting with verse 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Jump ahead to verse 14. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, finest frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And then jump ahead to verse 35. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of of Canaan. For forty years they wandered in the wilderness, in the desert. And God provided for them. Even as they complained, even as they're complaining, saying they've they've seen God part the Red Sea, they've gone through safely, He's protected them from their enemies, He's He's His presence has been there showing them where to go. Even though all those things, they begin to complain and say, you've just brought us out here to kill us. And God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create food on the ground for you so that when you wake up, it's going to be there and you can gather it and eat it. And so they wake up in the morning and there's bread there, manna there food for them to eat and so every day they go out and they gather the food and they eat it and they wake up and their tummies are growling and they're rubbing their eyes and they look out and there's bread on the ground again and day in and day out God providing for them and what it says at the end of the chapter is that for 40 years God did that for them providing 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 for them that they would have food to eat all goes on, and all drank the same spiritual drink. In Exodus 17, starting with verse 1, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why do you bring us up out of Egypt, or why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And all of their complaining and all of their quarreling, the Lord graciously provided and protected. So here we have this incident where they're thirsty and they're complaining, they're wanting water. And what does God do? He doesn't strike them then. He says, Moses, I want you to go up to the rock, to that rock, big rock, and hit it with your staff. And so Moses does. He obeys God, and he goes up, and he hits this rock, and water comes out of a rock. Just God miraculously providing. Why? So that they would see God, not just so that their thirst is quenched, but that they'll see, hmm, That doesn't happen all the time. That's unique. God did that. And so he provides for them. He provides for them. The psalmist says this in Psalm 78, 15 and 16. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. God continued to provide for his people. And Paul goes on and he makes a comparison in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Paul's making a spiritual connection here that this was supernatural. The the Israelites should have seen that. It should have been obvious to them. It's supernatural. This just doesn't happen. Water doesn't come out of rocks when someone hits it with a stick. Certainly not enough water to, to, to quench the thirst of all of these people. But God did it. And Paul's making this connection that it matters. He says at the beginning, I want you to know, brothers, this Matters. God did these things and it was a supernatural thing and the material provision that he gave them pointed to a spiritual source and the source of provision was Christ. Rocks did not provide for the Israelites. Christ was their provider. Christ was present with them in the wilderness. Christ was the one providing for them all along. Just as much as He's present with the church today, as we meet together, just as much as He's present with us today, He was present with them then. The rock, Paul says, was Christ. That doesn't mean that, that what he's saying is that Moses climbed up with this staff, and he swings the staff, and he hits Jesus. He's not saying that. It's, it's a picture. Paul's point is, it wasn't the rock that provided water for the people. It wasn't Moses that provided water for the people. It was Christ that provided water for his people. Christ was providing for them. They drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. The people of Israel knew the sustaining presence of Christ. You might hear that, and you might ask, well, how is that possible Thought Christ was born in around five B C or something. That's why we call it B C right before Christ. So how could there be Christ before Christ? Now that it'd just be good this morning if we rejoice together in this, okay? I'm just looking at a couple passages, all right? Just a a handful of passages that that point to Christ. And and do we have an understanding? When When we say we put our hope in Christ, is it Christ who is eternal? Is it Christ who is God? And what does the Bible speak to that? Did Christ come and begin when he was born in a manger? Or has he always been? First words of the scripture, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. How did he create the heavens and the earth? By his word. You turn to John chapter 1, it tells us what that means. If you know Christ, if you're in Christ, can we just rejoice in these verses together? If you don't, just think on these things. That's what Paul's trying to get us to do is think, think, think. Think about how how can this be? Is this true In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. Lance mentioned passage in Colossians chapter one. that's Paul saying the same thing as John one says about Christ and how Christ is always existed. And Christ created the heavens and the earth. Verse 15 of chapter one in Colossians. He is the image. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Christ present and creating the heavens and the earth. In Hebrews chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews says this of Jesus, starting with verse 8. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Verse 5 before that says, for to which of the angels did God ever say? And then verse 8, but of the Son, God says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. God the Father says of the Son, your throne is forever. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. You are the same and your years will have no end. Christ, present with the Israelites, present creating, creating the heavens of the earth. God saying of his Son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. In John chapter 12, verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. What things? Verse 38, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom is the arm of the Lord been revealed? In verse 40, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Those are the two quotes that he's referring to that Isaiah had said. Isaiah said those things. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory, Jesus' glory, and spoke of Jesus. And what is that referring to? Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. The train of His robe filled the temple. Isaiah spoke of Christ. In Psalm 16, verse 11, the psalmist says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Who is at the right hand of God the Father? Jesus In John chapter 8, such a wonderful passage. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, the Jews. They didn't think it was wonderful. See? But in verse 44, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, speaking again of the time of Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Why? He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Christ working in and through Moses. Christ working in. For and in and around his presence being there with the Israelites. In Luke chapter 24, verse 27. Jesus on the road to Emmaus with the disciples. He's risen from the grave. And walking with the disciples. In verse 27 it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then finally in Jude, the book of Jude, second to the last book of the Bible, in verse 5. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe exactly what Paul's saying. I want you to know. I want you to remember. I want you to think about the Israelites so that you know how to run better, so that you're motivated to run. Think about the gravity of the Israelites. I want to remind you, Jude says, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, Jesus did that, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Christ was the rock. It's exactly what Paul is saying to the Corinthians and to us. Christ was there. He was present with them just as surely as he's present in the church today. But look what he says in verse 5. All of these things took place. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. They knew Christ's sustaining presence. They participated in blessings. Nevertheless, God was not pleased. It says that phrase, most of them. In verse 5, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. That's a massive, massive understatement. How many made it out? Two. Caleb and Joshua. So most of them, understatement. I want you to know, Paul says, think about the Israelites, think about their circumstances, think about what they experienced. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. All but two, the rest died in the wilderness. That word overthrown literally means to strew or to spread over. We'll talk about next week as he gets in more detail about the things that happened with the Israelites. But, but that picture Paul is painting is that the corpses of those with whom God was not pleased littered the wilderness. Think about the connection Paul's making. That's what he wants us to do. Think about the connection. Run the way that winners run so that you don't find that you were disqualified. And here's an example for you. Remember the Israelites. Remember what they experienced. Remember all of the things that happened to them. And yet, nevertheless, God was not pleased with them. Why? Because of what we talked about last week. It's not running that earns you the prize. It's not running that gets you saved. It's not works that you can do that gets you to heaven. It's Jesus Those things that we participate in, the things that we do, can do nothing to earn us a relationship with God. Jesus graciously worked for us by taking sins on himself so that if we believe in him, we can have a relationship with God. We can't do that ourselves. Paul says, think about the Israelites and all of the things that they participated in, all of the blessings. They were baptized into Moses. They ate spiritual food and drank spiritual drink. That would sound familiar to the Corinthians and to most of us. Many of you have been baptized. The bread that they ate, the manna, was a picture of Christ, the bread of life. The water that they drank, a picture of Christ who is the water of life. Their participation, a picture of communion. And and as we get further into this chapter, Paul's aiming in that direction. Talking about their participation through communion, through taking the bread and the cup together. There's a picture for us. There's an example for us. They participated in all of those things and yet God was not pleased with them. Those have been things that the Corinthians had participated in. But are they... Running? Do they really believe in Jesus? Are they trusting in Christ? And Paul's point in this is he wants to be sure that they're not depending and that we're not depending on things like baptism or communion or attending a church together to get us to heaven because those things can't save us. They're blessings, they're things we get to participate in, but Christ saves. Jesus saves. Many of the Israelites were disqualified because of their unbelief. They didn't believe. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 3, verses 16 through the end of the chapter, for who, for her, who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. All of the things that they participated in, all of the things that they experienced. Just just think about just the Just the passages we looked at. The cloud. God's presence literally leading them step by step. They didn't believe. Walking through the Red Sea because God had separated the waters for them. Waters on the right, waters on the left. Walking through, they didn't believe. What's Paul saying? Those circumstances that we participate in, they can't save us. If if a circumstance that we participate in could save us, I'd pick Red Sea. I'd want Red Sea, like Alum Creek. Let's go to Alum Creek, and for all of those who don't yet believe, here's a circumstance we're going to show for you so that you'll believe. I would say that would do it for me. Like, I don't... Go to Allen Creek, shh, the lake splits. Let's go to the other side, guys. Other side, okay, we all believe that would do it for me. I, I mean, if it depended on circumstances. Paul's point is circumstances will never, ever convince you you need your heart to change. You need to see that Jesus is the treasure. You need to know that he came and gave his life for you. And only Jesus can save you and get you to heaven. Only Christ. Only Jesus can do that. All of the things that they had been exposed to. All of the blessings that they had participated in. To Paul's encouragement to the Corinthians. My encouragement to you. If you've been exposed to the blessings of Christ, if you've, if you've participated in communion, if you've seen baptism, been a part of being baptized, those things can't save you. But if you've participated and you've ex- been exposed to the blessings of Christ, throw yourself on Christ. Trust in Christ. Don't trust in those things. Those are things we do in response to what Jesus has already done. And then run the race that's set before you with endurance. Run in a way that winners run. Run the way that the, the one who crosses first runs. Runs with, Run with everything in you. Casting everything else aside, run. That's Paul's point in this. He's reading in John chapter 20. And John, as he's wrapping up the gospel of John in, in chapter 20, Uh, Just before chapter 21, verse 30 and 31, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. All of the things that Christ was there doing, providing for the Israelites, were for one reason. So that they would believe. All of the things that Jesus did, all of the things that John wrote about that Jesus had, den, d- had done, and all of the things, even, even knowing that there are more things and more signs that Jesus did in the presence of his disciples, all of these things are written, John says, so that you would believe. So that you would know and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his, in his name. We come together, we read the scriptures, which is God's word. We sing together. Once a month here, we take communion together. We take the bread, we take the cup. All of those things are arrows. And just as John's saying here in John chapter 20, all of those things are meant to point to Christ so that we will throw ourselves onto Jesus, knowing that he alone can save us. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. God, you know the hearts of all men. You know my heart right now. You know the motivation behind preaching this. You know the motivation behind what I'm praying right now. You know if it's to please people, and you know if it's to please you, God. You know me. You know, the hearts of every one of us here, God, you, you see and you know. And so, God, I pray that you would work. I thank you for your word. You've given us your word and it, and it points to Christ who made himself nothing, coming, the creator of the world, coming and making himself nothing to dwell among us and, and then to be Killed for the sins that we've committed, so that if we just trust in Him and trust in the the hope that we can have in Him, reconciliation to You that we can have in Him will be forgiven. God, would You help right now, Lord? Would You help? Would You search hearts, God? You know, You know if there's anyone here who's just come and gone and come and gone and and just participated in the blessings of Christ, and yet never submitted to Christ Jesus you are lord your word tells us clearly that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are lord and as lord who has all authority in heaven and on earth you love you give grace I pray, Father, that every single person here in this place would know your grace. Would throw themselves on you, Jesus, the only hope for the world, the Savior of the world. Would believe in you, would believe that you did come, that you did give your life to pay for their sins, that you rose from the dead to conquer death, and that there's hope in you and only in you of having eternal life with you, God. You are the prize, Jesus. For those of us who are in you and know you, Christ, who believe in you, Lord, would we be people who see you and know you as the the great treasure and the reward as we cross the finish line, Lord, we want you, we get you, Jesus, and would we run, would we run as people who really do believe that you're a greater treasure than anything or any one or any? amount of anything that we could have on this planet? Will we just deny ourselves and take up our cross and run hard after you, Jesus? God, I pray that you would help and work for your glory, God. Would this be a day of repentance and a day of joy as we surrender and submit to the creator and savior of the world? We pray in Christ's name, amen.